Hey, Rulon, welcome to the show. We're so excited to have you here. It's such an honor for us to be talking to you today. Um, just for our listeners who may not know who you are, would you please just share a little bit about you and your background and how you came to wrestling and just all the things and how you landed where you are today? Well, my name is uh, Ruland Gardner. I actually, uh, if you think of uh, wrestlers and Olympic athletes, you probably wouldn't think of Afton, Wyoming, the town of 1,500 people. But I actually was born and raised on a dairy farm and youngest of nine children. And when they started schooling, uh, they realized I had a learning disability. Uh, reading comprehension, speed of reading. So cognitive understanding took me a lot longer than the average student. So I had to really focus on things when at a young age, I had coaches that were frustrated with me because I just didn't quite get it. And I remember having a few of them move on and not want to work with me because it just took me so much longer than the average student. So for me, it was a slow process of learning. But then ultimately, through uh, junior high into high school, I got involved in wrestling, football, track. I got involved in everything I could to get off the dairy farm because I hated working on the farm. So, you know, our summer started at 6.30 every morning and typically ended up after 10, 11 o'clock at night. And so our summers weren't playing out in the sun and enjoying life. It was growing up and working hard and, you know, milking cows and changing pipe and spraying weeds, doing whatever it took to, to help the family business. So um, struggles, you know, we had a lot of struggles when I was eight years old. Um, I had a brother who died of apask anemia. It's where your bone marrow dies. And then that same year, our, our farm burnt down. So our dairy barn burnt down. So we had to rebuild. And we went through a lot of struggles there. And I learned a lot about, a, you know, audacity and commitment to, to rebuild. And my dad's like, well, you know, we could quit farming and just kind of give up and do something else. Or we can just rebuild. And, you know, we struggled. But we stuck together. We worked hard. And ultimately, you know, graduated high school. I didn't make the high school wrestling team till my senior year because I had a brother whose name was Reynolds who beat me every day until the end of my junior year. And I finally beat him. My coach was like, he's a senior, you know, you have next year. And I said, I'm not wrestling just to win. I'm wrestling to, to go with my friends and to enjoy the sport and to learn about myself. And so my brother won state my junior and then my senior year, I won state and then got a junior college offer. I had two offers out of um, high school, went to uh, Rick's junior college, won the nationals there and went to University of Nebraska and ultimately uh, went there and uh, had a learning disability still and worked hard in school. And my senior year, I was ranked number two in the NCAAs and I took fourth and I was disappointed, but I sat back and my mom always reassured me, you know, what's your goal? What, why are you here? What's your purpose of being here? And first and foremost was education. And I had people who told me you should go out and train for the Olympics and, you know, Greco-Roman and freestyle wrestling is completely different than high school wrestling, collegiate. And so I had to learn a whole new style of wrestling and everything else, but I postponed it for two and a half years to make sure I got my education degree. And I got my physical education degree as a teacher from the University of Nebraska in physical education, coaching, and teaching. So for me, I fulfilled one of my commitments and my goals to myself and followed through with it. Then from there, I went from uh, Nebraska to Colorado Springs, and I moved out to the Olympic Training Center where I trained for the Olympics. And ultimately, in 2000, I had to beat three or two other Americans that were top two in the world. And one of them was an Olympic silver medalist, three times um, a one-time silver medalist at the Olympics, and then two-time world silver medalist, and then eventually Jamil Byers, who was a world champion. So I had to beat two other really good wrestlers and make the Olympic team, made the team, and then ended up uh, winning the Olympic gold medal against probably the formidable, most uh, you know, dominant, uh, intimidating wrestler or you know Olympian ever, Alexander Karelin, who had been undefeated for 13 years and had never lost uh, thir you know, three Olympic gold medals, going for his fourth gold medal, and month before the Olympics, I was in Russia, 
and I was wrestling the number two Russian and Corral was in, you know, he didn't wrestle these little tournaments. And so I'm feeling pretty cocky and it was, you know, I was pretty arrogant because I'm the Olympian, I'm the American, I'm tough and I'm, I'm good. Went out there and got humiliated. I got pinned in 13 seconds. And it was because, you know, I, I forgot the things that I had, you know, used to get myself there. And I believed in all the hype and everything else. And that was one of the best things for me to ever do is lose that match because it helped me refocus, redirect all my energy. And I went back and started training again. And it, within a month, went back and won the Olympics. And I think, you know, failure is only a, a, a perspective away from success. So that's kind of the, the nutshell. I end up, I guess, being through a few near-death experiences, coming back, and I won the Olympic bronze medal in 2004. Uh, had a snowmobile accident in 2002 where I lost a toe to amputation and ended up winning uh, the Olympic bronze medalist, uh, or winning the Olympic bronze medal against the Iranian. And people always said, oh, you're this big, strong American. You know, you're, you're, you're great. You're amazing. And I'm like, I'm 6'1". The guy I beat in the, the bronze medal match was 6'9". So typically some of these guys were very big, very intimidating. Wow. I mean, what a story. And it just sounds like you came from such humble beginnings and you make all of your achievements sound so casual, but they are incredible. Um, I'm curious because we can dive into so many different things here. You've led us off to a great start. Um, I'm especially interested in this Alexander Carell. Um, I know that you mentioned you kind of had a big head and you were feeling very confident and almost lost sight of everything that got you to where you were, I guess, if you could dive in a little bit more there and tell us how you refocused and were able to change your approach going into the Olympics for a victory that was huge. Well, a lot of the athletes, um, this is the wrestlers, you know, that says that's who the individual I was hanging with when I got to the Olympics. And a lot of them went out and like, just, they were just looking around at the Olympics and how cool it was. And I realized, Hey, I'm going to the Olympics. This is big. And you know, media starts happening. So you start hearing all these things and you get you extra excited. And so you go out and you start living outside your bounds. You start thinking you can do things that you really can't because oh, I'm an Olympian. Now I can do anything. And I kind of got that feeling and I went to Russia and I wrestled in this tournament. It was in, in, it was just something that I just, I thought I was better than I really was. And I went out there and wrestled the number two Russian who was very formidable, you know, Yuri Petrakiev. Um, I'd wrestled him before that. He'd beat me before that, but I had improved so much and I was now the Olympian. So once you're the Olympian, you're unbeatable because I beat the Olympic silver medalist. That meant I was that good. And within that month of winning the Olympic trials and going to Russia, I, I kind of believed the hype. And then, you know, getting, you know, in the finals of the tournament in Russia and then losing that match was probably the best thing to happen because it brought me back to reality saying, yeah, you're good enough to win the Olympic trials and beat, you know, an Olympic silver medalist, but you still haven't mastered. You still haven't figured everything out. You're still not the dominant wrestler Corellon is. So, you know, you got a month to go back and regroup and it was the best thing to happen. So I kind of, after the match, I, I put like a table in front of me and I put all the things out there that made me who I was. And I picked up the things that would help me when I got to Sydney to be successful. And I left the ego and the attitude and the cockiness. I left that behind. I said, no, I got one month to get ready. 
And I did every day and every practice. It was the best thing to happen to me because it helped me refocus. And like, what, you know, right before I went out to the finals against Cordellan, um, my coaches were like, Rulin, 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 you're going to beat him. He's nervous. Look at him. He's scared. Rulin, Rulin. And they're telling me all these things. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. And I said, hold on. I said, my coach always said, act like you've been there before. Walk out there like you've been there every day. And I thought, okay, I'm at the Olympic finals. All this pressure is on me. Then I thought, you know what? When I was in Colorado Springs, you know, waiting to make the Olympic team, I walked into practice by myself. I didn't have all these coaches around me propping me up, telling me how great I was. I walked in there, and every day I walked into practice, I imagined myself wrestling one person, and that's the Russian, Alexander Karelin, and that was today. And I walked out there, and I said, I asked my coaches, I said, please stop talking to me. And my coaches were like, why? You know, we're your coaches. I said, just please stop. And I, and I walked out there ready because every day in practice, I imagined Russell and Carell. And so that day was just like any other day. And everybody's like, well, were you nervous? I'm like, eh, of course I was. But I felt comfortable because I'd been there before. I didn't live outside my mental capacity because when I wrestled at that top level, it was just me. It was just me just going out there and just letting myself wrestle. You know, the human body, we all try to think, how do we develop and you know, cognitively develop? Because that was one of my biggest problems growing up is it took me so much longer. But as I got better and better and better, I understood how I thought. And so I could watch a technique across the room, walk out there and do it, not even trying it once because my mind had overthought and my mind got to the ability to where I can perceive and then go out there and achieve using a certain technique. And so I think the mind develops itself. And for me that day, you know, that was the way I approached that match and walking out to the finals, you know, it was something I already done. Did I think I could beat him? No. You know, he's two or three time Olympic gold medalist and nine time world champion is undefeated as an adult wrestler. It's not possible to beat him. But as I walked out there, I thought, you know what, you have a chance. And, you know, people think of Mount Everest and they're like, Oh, look at that mountain. You can't climb. And I said, yeah, you can one step at a time. Just like walking on that mat, it was one step at a time. It wasn't going to be easy. It wasn't going to be perfect, but you have to survive and you have to achieve. And, you know, my coach has said, keep the match close. Keep it, you know, keep the score down. Put the pressure on him. He's the one expected to win. You make him prove himself. And right before, you know, I was wrestling too, I, one of my teammates ran up and they said, aren't you upset? And I said, why? They're like, well, they're telling everybody that Corellan's going to beat you. They're telling everybody, they're, they're announcing his retirement party. They've invited everybody to congratulate him on his fourth gold medal. Doesn't that upset you? I said, nope. They're like, why not? I said, I got to go wrestle. And that, I just kept it simple and just walked out there and wrestled. That's such an incredible perspective to have. Um, let's back up just a little bit because you're talking about uh, being a kid in school and having, you know, this dream to be an athlete and um, learning that you have a learning disability as a student athlete, how do you take those feelings of maybe being like, Oh, this is a huge obstacle. I'm never going to be able to face those giants in the Olympics or whatever your goals were at that time. Like, how do you, how did you navigate transitioning your belief system and your perspective so that you could take that and turn it into something that was something you could overcome? I think probably the biggest part of, my mental perspective, you know, started, you know, being in my family, my brother Reynolds, he used to beat me all the way through junior high wrestling all the way into high school. So I was 17 years old before I beat him the first time. And so every day, you know, fire, you know, hardened steel and, 
you know, steel hard and steel. And my brother pushing me and he wasn't the best ever, but we pushed each other at mental challenge on a daily basis. Took a, a kid who was not very talented, not very skilled, not very athletic. And he took that wrestler from high school, you know, and gave him the ability to, to believe in himself. And so going through school, having, you know, kids in my class, you know, classmates tease me because I was a bad reader. I really struggled at reading because, you know, they pulled me out, put me in special ed. And, and when I got home at night, I didn't really have a, a lot of time to work on my reading because I grew up on the farm. And so I had responsibilities out in the fields and, you know, working out, you know, changing the pipe and hauling the hay. So there's a lot of responsibility. So it came down to, then you asked about developing the character to believe and to win at the Olympics. Well, how did I develop that? Just surviving on the farm. You know, me and my brother, we used to, you know, we used to get in fights all the time. We fist fights and I'm supposed to do this. You're supposed to do that. Well, dad said, you're supposed to do this. Well, you can go to, you know, so it was just a daily battle. You know, we were just chipping away at each other all the time. And, uh, you know, for me, you know, getting to the point where, I ended up my senior year winning the state title and then looking around and not very many people were impressed. Yeah. I'm a one-time state champion from Wyoming, but then I had the junior college coach, you know, offer me a scholarship and I went there my uh, freshman year at college. And I said, coach, I said, you came to a tournament, my hometown tournament. And I had an undefeated record the whole of my senior year, except for my hometown tournament. The one tournament that really mattered to me besides state I lost and I beat the guy a year before and, you know, I went out there thinking, oh, I pinned him year last year. I'm going to pin him again this year. No, his coaching staff went out there. They looked at me. They figured me out. They figured out how I was going to beat him and how I was wrestling. And they coached their kid perfectly to beat me. And I asked my college coach, I said, why did you recruit me? I said, you watched me lose my only match. I said, why did you believe in me? Why did you think I was something that, you know, you would want to come wrestle for you after you watched me be a loser? You know, typically you don't recruit those kids. He said, Bruin, he said, the one thing that I saw you have he said, that was heart. With two seconds left in the match, you still believed you could win that match. He said, I can't teach you that. You know, most people would have quit and given up and stopped wrestling, but you kept after him. You kept fighting. You kept gritty until the referee had to physically pull you off of him. He said, I saw you had heart. The one thing you didn't have is a lot of technique because growing up on the farm, we didn't have summer camps. We didn't have all this stuff, you know, to go and develop our wrestling skill, we had to work on the farm. So we went from like a wrestling season to, to football, or to football, to wrestling, to track, you know, anything we could to get off the farm, but we didn't have summer camps because that summer was spent, you know, at six 30 every morning working all day long. And that was our goal. And so my coach saw that I had the heart and with his ability to teach me, he'd make me a champion. And he did. My, my sophomore year, I won the JUCO Nationals, and then I went to Nebraska, and the Nebraska coach, I got to Lincoln, and they said, oh, you have a learning disability, and oh, you're going into physical education. It's two majors and a minor, and it's, it's the fourth hardest degree at the university because you have anatomy, physiology, kinesiology, biomechanics, you know, exercise testing, and then you have all your you know, curriculum, your education curriculum, you have all those other components. It's just too tough for you. You're not, you don't have what it takes to graduate because you have a learning disability. I said, I don't care. I'm like... I'm like, I'll make it through. I said, you give me an opportunity and I'll make it through. My coach said, Ruin, I was in all those classes. I know how tough it is. And the same anatomy teacher was a former wrestler. And he, he always told you know, athletes, hey, any athletes in here? <clears throat> yeah, that's me. And he's like, I'll see you next semester because you never make it. You know, this, this class is that tough. And so for me, day one, I was told at the, at the farm and back in Wyoming and, you know, at college that I'd never make it. And that was the best thing for me to hear because when somebody tells me I can't do something, what do I do? I prove them wrong. 
I show them that, it, you know, it's possible. And I'm a high school coach now, and I tell my kids, hey, ooh, he's pretty tough. I don't know if you can do it. I want you to develop character. I want you to develop, you know, steel, you know, to where you develop that courage to do anything in life and you can overcome anything. And that's, that's what I wanted to develop in myself. Plus also now my wrestlers, I want to develop that ability to change your future by learning from your past and making yourself a champion. Wow. So, I mean, on one side, you've got these coaches who instill so much belief in you just, by seeing that raw desire to win. And then on the other hand, you've got other people that are not in your corner that are almost rooting for you to lose. Um, so that kind of brings me to just an interesting question as to, I guess if you could speak a little bit more on the relationship with your coaches and the impact that they had in your career as an athlete, and then even any lessons they may have taught you as a person and your ability to succeed in all of these situations where people may have been rooting against you. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, you think about influential people of your life and my mom was, she, you know, she was probably the most influential person in my life because of the things that she had taught me and the example she was because, you know, she went back to nursing school when, when I was in eighth grade and she graduated with her nursing degree you know, when she was after she, after she was 50 years old and she worked until she was 72 years old as a nurse, you know, she didn't have a healthy body, but she developed character. And I left for college. She, you know, she said, keep your feet on the ground and your head out of the clouds. Remember who you are and where you're from. And I stuck with that after I won the Olympics. Uh, you know, my mom, I said, Hey, you know, I, I got an opportunity to do WWE. You know, Vince McMahon told me I'd make millions and all this stuff. What do you think, mom? She goes, ruin is this the kid that I raised you to be? I'm like, no. And, you know, my mom was like, hey, you know, I want you to be this, this teacher, this example. I want you to show what amateur wrestling's like and the greatness of the sport because it's not a, a money-making sport. It's a sport that you develop yourself. <clears throat> and walking into the Olympics, I didn't think I was going to win. I didn't wrestle for money. I wrestled because I was learning about myself and I was learning about the person that I wanted to become. In all athletics, there's very few people – to make a lot of money, you know, wrestling and the Olympics is a, not a money maker. It's an opportunity to, to go out there and represent your country. And that's why I did it. So for me, my mom was a great example. Uh, you know, my first, uh, you know, real coach, you know, growing up was Ed Bruce, you know, he gave me my first pair of wrestling shoes, like in first grade. And I used them and, you know, he was there all the way through high school. And then, you know, Bill Hoops and then Richard Hoops and then Kevin Kennington and then, you know, Bob Christensen at uh, Rick's College and then ultimately uh, Tim Newman at University of Nebraska to, you know, probably my final coach was Steve Frazier. You know, he was a 1984 Olympic champion and I got to the Olympic Training Center and, and Coach Frazier has to coach everybody. And he told me that, you know, he saw things in me that <clears throat> that if I followed those things and we called them, we sat down the first time, we, it's called an APR, an Athlete Performance Review. And we sat down, we had the, you know, my, all the things that made me a good wrestler and all the things that, you know, I wanted to work on and all the achievements I had. And he's like, well, you don't have any achievements. He said, okay, well, you know, things that you're good at, well, you're, you're short, you're only six, one, most guys are six, five. And he said, okay, uh, technique, technically wise, you're, you've never wrestled Greco Roman before. So it's a whole new sport to you. Um, you know, um, physical wise, you grew up on a dairy farm throwing hay bells. You know, you don't have the same strength that a lot of these guys have because they're used to throwing human beings. You're used to, you know, throwing hay bells. He's like, so you don't have a lot of that knowledge, but what you do have, <clears throat> and we call these our positive affirmations, you have heart, 
devotion, perseverance, you know, technique, you know, belief in yourself. He said, those are things that you can't measure. And Rulin, I see something in you that is special. And if you go out and you work hard <clears throat> every day, I said, I think you can do anything. And I'm sitting there and right before the Olympics in 2000, 1999, and I'd struggled because, you know, I'd only made the world team one time before I came in, Matt Kafari had won the, the Olympic silver medal in 19, 1996. So in 1997, he took a year off. And so my first real year of training, because I didn't graduate college until 1996. And so 1997, I made the world team and took fifth at the world. I wrestled the big Russian, Karelin. And the only time I ever lost to him was in that year in 97 in the, in the semifinals of the world championships. And so losing that match, I came off the match thinking, oh, I'm, I'm at that level. And Came back in the 1998 World Team Trials. I lost to Macafari, who took second at the Worlds again. And in 1999, I was number three in, in America. Number three in America. In 1999, I lose to not Kafari, but to another American named Jamil Byers. And I'm number three, and I walk in. I sit down with Steve Frazier, and I said, Steve, I said, i got to go somewhere else. I said, I've been here for three years living in Colorado. I don't see it. You know, I'm number three in America. I haven't really improved. I had one year I was number one, but then each year I've I've – you know, really struggled. I said, I got to go somewhere else. I want to go to Europe or do something else. He said, no. He said, Rulin, he said, I see something in you. And I promise you, you work harder than anybody else in this room that you, you know, are you more dedicated, not just heavyweights. He said, every wrestler in this room, you are more dedicated. You work harder than anybody else. And if you push yourself for the next year, I promise you, you'll make the Olympic team and you'll win a medal. And I walked out of there going, oh, okay, I'm number three in America. And he's telling me I'm going to make the Olympic team and win a medal next year. I said, he has 40 other wrestlers. He's probably telling the exact same story to. So do I trust, you know, Coach Frazier? Because he's probably telling everybody the same story. And I thought, you know what? I believe him. Because, you know, we'd had a few discussions. We'd had a few fights and a few battles because, you know, people call people out. And, you know, your coach, if he, if he doesn't have the ability to really, you know, rattle you to the bone and, and tear you down and, and say, hey, you know, you think you're you're good? He's like, these guys are much better. And unless you – go through the battles and the hardship, you're not going to win on the mat. He said, I want to give you every talent and every skill to compete and win. And one of the things that Coach Frazier, well, he's such a, I think, a monumental man in my life, was Coach Frazier, he had the ability to push us. And one of the matches was called a two-hour grind match. So we would wrestle for two hours straight, no water break, no tying your shoelaces. You wrestled. I remember I'd have an Olympic champion, and I, he'd be on the ground crying after 30 minutes because he didn't want to get back up because mentally you broke this Olympic champion. And I saw so many great wrestlers being broken just because they didn't have the mental strength long-term. And so I saw that. I remember going through these two hour grind matches and first time you're like, Oh, I can't do it after 10 minutes of regulation matches, nine minutes. And so, you know, two hours, you know, it's impossible. I remember first 30 minutes. It's like, Oh my gosh, I'm so tired. And an hour, Oh, I'm only halfway there. And, Oh, an hour and 15, I can't do it. Hour and 30, your body's finally going numb. So you can't really feel it anymore. But then you're like, hey, I'm not that tired anymore. Then you hit an hour and 45, and you're, re you know, you're rejuvenated. You're, you, know, you have all this energy because you're 15 minutes from making it for two hours. And then the last five minutes, you're going 1,000% because there's no barriers. There's, no, there's nothing holding you back. It's nothing but opportunity. And you shred through, and you're like, I've never been over here. And it opens up a horizon. And most people never get there because everybody just stays in their comfort zone. Because the thing I worried about every day is I'd hit the wall and I would stop. Everybody else would hit the wall and they would push through it. And I couldn't do that. And the thing I realized is all these guys who were better than me, they were at every practice that I was at. 
So what was going to help me catch them? That was all the extra stuff I would do. I would get up after a two-hour match. I would get up and do sprints. And I had the guys used to laugh at me. Oh, you're just trying to show off. And, you know, you're just trying to prove how good and strong you are. And, you know, you're, you're, you're nothing special. And I, and I had them tell me that. But I didn't listen to what people told me. I thought, you know what? I'm going to get up and I'm going to do all this extra work because I need to do something more than anybody else because the only way I can catch them is I have to outwork them. And I started doing that. And finally, about two years ago, a friend of mine, Brian Keck, who passed away last year, but Brian Keck came out and said, man, he's like, we used to laugh at you. We used to make fun of you. We thought you were trying to show off and show how good a shape you were in and trying to impress us. And he said, at the end of the day, I'm sorry. I said, why? He goes, Ruin. He said, because we used to make fun of you. And do you know what you have that I don't? I said, no, Brian, I don't. He goes, you have an Olympic gold medalist. You have a world championship and you have an Olympic bronze medal. Do you know what I have? I said, no, he goes, zero. Because I didn't commit like you. I'm so sorry that I made fun of you. And I wish I would have committed like you. And I said, Brian, I'm not. Because if you would have committed like me, you probably would have beat me. I said, so I'm glad you didn't commit. That was your choice. But you, you, know, you now realize what I was doing. And I'm glad that you didn't realize it back then. Because if you would have, just imagine if he would have pushed himself that much harder, maybe he would have made me that much better. And so I think in sports, you have to you know, push your opponents and the kids around you to help you, but then you don't want to push them too much because they'll beat you. Macafari, my first Greco-Roman match that I ever wrestled, he was there. And he helped coach me. And I said, Matt, I said, and at the end of the tournament, I said, aren't you concerned? I said, I just became number two in the country. My first match in Greco-Roman, I was still in college. I said, I'm number two in the country. And I said, aren't you worried? He said, Rulin, you know, see that guy over there? That's Art Martori who, run our, who ran our wrestling club. He goes, Art asked me to do something and I do it. He said, I'll do whatever he asked me to do. And Matt Kafari, you know, he didn't want to show me technique because ultimately I beat him at the Olympic trials, you know, four years later to make the Olympic team. And, you know, it's not just a lot in sport is about ourselves, but it's about doing what we have to do and doing the things we need to do. And for us as athletes now, you know, even when I was competing, I'd always work with people because I didn't care what I showed people because the better I made them, the better they made me. That is so awesome. Um, you've just said so much that I feel like translates probably so perfectly to your own athletes that you're now coaching. And I'm just curious how um, you've taken all of this experience and kind of packaged it for your team that you work with. Well, my high school is in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah. It's uh, down on the southwest uh, part of the valley, and it's called Harriman Mustangs. And this year, you know, we had two state champions last year. You know, the first year I came in, we had a really good team, and then they split our high school in half and took half of our good wrestlers. And so last year, we had some really good wrestlers, and we had some beginner. And it was a struggle because, you know, every day in practice, we would look at it and be like, oh, man, you know, you know, we think we're, we're getting better. And then, you know, we look at our kids and we're like, oh, we're not that good. And at the end of the day, we ended, up, we ended up having two state champions and we took 11th as a team, you know, but we had lost a lot of our good kids. And so for us, last year was a struggle. But at the end of the year, I was, I was so happy because those freshmen, those sophomores had never wrestled before. They learned so much. And so this year we're excited about it. And you ask kind of, you know, how do I package to my wrestlers? I, I, you know, now it's kind of funny because the coaches always say, well, you tell your kid what to do, but you know, you're his coach on a daily basis. So he really doesn't listen to you. And 
I'm like, oh, they'll always listen to me. And my kids at the end of the year, I, I was kind of walking around and be like, hey, did you, you know who I am in, in this wrestling world? And no, you're my coach. I'm like, you don't know that I I heard you wrestle, but I didn't know. I'm like, how about you go look my name up on YouTube and, and watch and see who I am. And the kids come back the next day. They're like, I had no idea. And the kids don't, you know, they're kind of in their, their own world. And so you need to kind of find a way to shake the tree. You need to find a way to, to challenge them because sometimes if you challenge them so much, they break and they quit and they give up because, you know, the culture, all oh, these kids aren't tough. And I've been talking to, you know, some of the guys in Greco-Roman wrestling and they're like, Oh, it's tough. These kids, they're not the same kids that we were. And I kind of believe it, but I don't believe it because I look at myself and I wasn't great, but our coaches challenged us and their coaches said, Hey, you know, guys, you're probably not going to do it. You're probably not going to make the Olympics. You're probably not going to win a medal. And I'm like, Ooh, you don't think so? Okay, well, I'm going to prove you wrong. And, you know, I, I, as we made the Olympic team in 2000, you know, we had a bunch of upsets and they walked in and said, okay, guys, Rulin, you beat McAfee, the Olympic silver medalist. And, you know, there goes a shot at winning a heavyweight medal. And, you know, they tell us up and down the border, we're not going to win any medals. That year we won three medals. We won a gold, a bronze, and a silver. And Greco-Roman wrestling, if you look at it, historical perspective at that and the marathon are the two original Olympic sports. So the history of Greco-Roman wrestling and to be an American, because when you go to Europe, they say, do you notice the name Greco-Roman, Greeks and the Romans, a European sport? It's not America because, you know, they always told us, Rulin, you guys are good at baseball, football, basketball. You're good at everything else, but not wrestling. This is our sport. So when you come here and you come to Europe, you're, you're already losing the match before it starts. So you're not going to win. You're not going to be successful. So as a young wrestler, you know, getting involved in Greco-Roman, I'm like, geez, these guys are, they're not, you know, they're not joking. These guys are truly serious that there is so much favoritism towards the Europeans. It, got, it was crazy. But you know what? Instead of whining about it, this is, I'm going to go out and deal with it. You know, what are you going to do? I'm going to go out there and I'm going to work through this and I'm going to find a way to succeed no matter what, you know, most people would say. Because most people, as I made the Olympic team, they, they discarded me. They thought there's no way he'll, you know, win a medal. But guess what I did? I won a medal. I won the gold medal and I proved them wrong. And those are things I think we need to realize because so many kids anymore, they look at the hard challenge. They look at the battle. They look at, at all the things they have to go through and they quit before they start. And it's a shame. It's a shame that a lot of kids don't have that long-term perspective. Yeah, I agree. I'm wondering what like maybe top three motivators you use when you see kids like that, that possibly have potential but are lacking that kind of inner motivation that you so easily grasped? Um, ah, well, that's the funny part is you say easily grasped, but that, like I said, you, you know, growing up, um, here's a little perspective. My, my seventh grade year, we were wrestling a little, you know, dual meet tournament, two matches, Soda Springs, Idaho. It's February. It's in Wyoming. It's cold. And I remember being inside and I went, Oh, and two. And we had like 40 wrestlers on the team. And I'm the only wrestler to lose a match. Even the bad wrestlers won. And on the way home, I remember having the bad wrestlers tease me and everybody teasing me and I'm scraping the windows. And I'm like, man, you know, like this wrestling is hard and wrestling's this. And I'm like, hold on. I said, it's February. It's like 40 below outside. It's really cold. I'm not out working on the farm. I love wrestling. You know, so for me, it was all perspective. And so nowadays, these kids, you know, they, they come in and they're like, oh, I should be successful day one. I said, no. I said, you have to earn every opportunity to be in a match. If you walk out there and you just think, oh, it's going to come naturally. No, 
you have to determine. And at some point in your career, you will determine at one point what your destiny is. Because if you go out there and just live, you know, on a day-to-day basis, you're not going to achieve it. But those people, and we call it taking control of your destiny, taking control of the match, taking control of your senior year. You know, and I tell my kids all the time, don't wait until your senior year. We had a kid last year, you know, Tracy Norman, who came in from nowhere, and he walked out there and he ended up coming in and winning the state title. You know, he was cutting down from about 250. He got lean and mean and tough, and he ended up winning the state title. He's now in college wrestling, and he has a great future, but he didn't have that perspective. And I, and I always told him, I said, don't wait, don't wait. And he did. And I told now at our, at our banquet, I said, guys, I said, look at Tracy. I said, you know, he changed his perspective, but why did he wait until his senior year? Because your back's against the wall. You don't have next year. It's either now or never. So I tell our kids, they walk in the room. Today is the day, not tomorrow. Today is the day that you determine if you're going to win the state title. And are you going to put the work ethic? So first of all, you know, it's taking control of your destiny. You know, secondly, you know, looking and perceiving your opponent. You know, this guy is this and this and this and this, and he's this good, he's this. And I said, okay, what are you good at? What things are you going to use? And I always want our kids to have a game plan when they walk out to wrestle. What's your first move going to be? Uh, probably going to tie up. No, that's not a move. You know, that's a tie up. You know, what's your first move going to be? How are you going to execute and take your opponent down to win the match, to score a point, to be successful? Uh, and so you want to give them a game plan. You want to, you know, make sure they take control of the match. And then thirdly, you know, you got to go out there and you're going to have to deal with adversity. You know what? The coach or the the referee did this to me and he called me for a penalty point for this or he said I was doing this or coach, I was super aggressive. I was pushing them all over the map, pushing them out of bounds. Well, they don't want you to just push them. They want you taking them down. And we, you know, we had one of our real good wrestlers who did that and he was trying and the kid didn't want to come back in. So he shot him out of the match and the referee didn't think it was a real shot. So he called our kid for stalling and we about, I about got kicked out of the tournament for it because we're like, you know, my, my assistant coach obviously told the referee, it's obvious you don't know about wrestling. I'm like, oh, here we go. And we got warned. And I said, you know what? I said, it's not understanding. I said, but it's understanding the long-term goal of wrestling because international wrestling, it's about the push out. It's about controlling the center. Because if you look at the old historical perspective of wrestling, you know, like, like the Greeks and the Romans, they used to wrestle for, you know, land. And, you know, they wouldn't use the sword. They would wrestle. And so people used to wrestle to the death back, you know, thousands of years ago. And so for me, you know, thinking about wrestling nine-minute matches, easy compared to, you know, what a lot of these guys were, the Greeks and the Romans and the history that's associated with wrestling. So I walked out of there, you know, onto the match with a, a huge perspective of appreciation for the history of the sport. And so for me, I wanted to be able to put the best example for, you know, what a wrestler is. And I always want our kids to be able to represent that and then walk off the mat as a champion. You know what, if you win, lose or draw, you walk off and you say, Daniel, what do I need to work on? And my last match of my career in 2004, you know, I went out and won the Olympic bronze medal, you know, the match before that, you know, I walked off and I'd lost in the semifinals of the Olympics and everybody's like, you're a failure. You're a loser. You know, you didn't win. I'm like, not a failure, not a loser. Well, what are you going to do? I said, go in the bronze. Aren't you devastated? I said, well, of course. I said, but what are you going to do? Go in the bronze. You know, I've lost thousands of matches over my career. It's not about just winning. It's about learning from your experiences. And so our kids, I want them to always evolve as an athlete and learn from their experiences and make them a better wrestler. Man, you've got such a great perspective on 
wrestling is a sport and then just how it carries over to life. Your athletes, I hope they know how lucky they are to have you as a coach. I tell them every day. I, <laughs> they don't listen to me, but I tell them now. <laughs> Come on now, listen, guys. You're really lucky to have me as a coach, okay? <laughs> but I do tell them that. <laughs> um, I guess, too, I mean, you just have this great perspective and appreciation for the sport. And I know you mentioned earlier that wrestling, especially at the Olympic level, it, it isn't even about the money. You are doing it because you love it, and it's driving you – to chase that better version of yourself. So I'm curious, you know, when you look at who you were chasing back then, how does that vision or what you are chasing line up with who you are today? Well, I think if you look at a, a person's, you know, direction, a person's destiny, for me, you know, I kind of thought, oh, I was going to grow up and become a teacher. And my goal was to become a better, you know, uh, a better teacher than I ever was, you know, as an athlete. And so for me, it was all about, um, you know, choosing perspective of, you know, remember being a good example for your kids and being able to say, oh, look what I did as an athlete. And I want to make you that much better. And so for me, you know, that's, that's what drove me is, you know, is how I could help influence these young athletes and, and take them to the next level and help them to refocus. Because if, as a coach, we don't, you know, help our kids learn from our experiences, you know, we're just like a beginner coach. And so for me as a, as a coach now, you know, I've had to kind of think, okay, these, these kids don't quite get it at the Olympic level. So I break it down. But then some of my coaches are like, dude, your detailed moves, you know, you're, you're taking 20 minutes for one move. And I said, yeah, but that's the foundation for this whole, you know, position, you know, situation. And, you know, there's just so many little things. And, you know, you look at from where I started to where I ended up with my technique, there's a huge separation between the two. And so for me, I just, you know, tell our kids, you know, take it in small dosages. Because when I started making the training to make the Olympic team, I remember I had, I had a coach, Roman Wachlowski, who was from Poland, who really made a huge impact. I'm like, coach, teach me, teach me, teach me. He goes, no, enough for today. I'm like, no, I want to learn because all these guys are better than me. He's like, patience. It's going to take some time. You've learned enough for today. You've, you've worked hard today. You know, don't overload yourself because, you know, you're going to kill yourself. So it just takes time for your mental you know, cognitive ability to catch up. And now when I retired, I can watch a technique and be like, that's pretty interesting and walk out and do it and never have actually done it before and actually do it in competition. That was when I started realizing that my mind truly had understood the sport of wrestling and perspective and all those things. And, you know, you walk out there and people say, oh, you know, you get the Olympic level. And I said, you get to the Olympics. I said, every action reaction is just secondary motion. You know, cognitively, you're focusing on one or two little mistakes in a nine-minute match. And like in, in Athens, when I made the mistake in the semifinals, it came down to a quarter of a second to win and lose in that match. You know, everything else was taken care of. It's just that quarter of a second. I was pushing when I shouldn't have been pushing as hard. I was trying to find a way to score on them, and I made a mistake. You know, I ended up losing that match, and it, it you know, still bugs me today. But you know what? I got to teach my kids to learn from it because – you know, you work your whole career that'll come down to one move. And the question is, is have you developed enough understanding of that situation to make the right call? And sometimes you make this call and you should have went this way, but you went that way and it cost you a match. But 
Those are the experiences you have to go through in life. And sometimes they work your way. Sometimes they don't. That's so, so true. So I guess, I mean, this is kind of a theme that we've been discussing throughout this conversation. You're talking about having this ego that leads to, you know, having a failure, which leads to learning, um, which leads to success. So um, is that kind of like the big takeaway that you would, if you were giving advice to your team or um, other young athletes or coaches even who want to reach your level of success? Like, is that the kind of advice that you'd give them? Or do you have other, like other thoughts on that? I think the, probably the best perspective I tell kids is they're like, Oh, the Olympics. And I said, yeah, it's cool. I said, yeah, it's amazing. I said, but you've got to go through hell and back. I said, it's going to be tough. I said, all the things that we're going to put you through, you're going to have to fight like you've never thought you could fight before because yeah, you're going to get beat up. You're going to get bruised. You're going to get, you know, torn down. Your body's going to get just, you know, just, just beat up. You know, you're going to break probably bones and there's going to be a lot of pain along the way, but you know what? Someday you're going to get to the Olympics and someday you're going to walk out there and you're going to win a medal and you're going to say, wow, it was worth it. And I, I went into win the worlds in 2001 the year after I won the Olympics, I became the world champ. So I was two times the best in the world. And um, I went to Worlds and I had a broken right hand. I had a partially separated left shoulder and I had a broken rib on my back part of my uh, rib cage. And I, I won the Worlds that year. And I, first day I got to Paris, I was training and my rib popped out and they put it back in. And, then, and I'm like, well, what can you do? And they're like, you got to deal with the pain, you know, because, you know, any type of painkiller, you're going to mask it and you can hurt yourself. And so they're like, just got to go out and wrestle through the pain. And I did and ended up winning the worlds. And so now my body healed up, but I, I think of all those experiences and, you know, it's tough because, you know, you tell kids that are first year wrestlers, Hey, this is what it's like. The kids just look at you like they're scared of you because they're like, I'm not that tough. I'm like, someday you'll become that tough. And, you know, I see these young wrestlers and they walk out there and they're crying when they lose. And, I've had many matches where I cried and now I look at it as I'm, I'm a machine. I'm just going to go out there, analyze process and, you know, destroy whoever shows up on the mat. I said, that's what that perspective you have to take it. You can't go out there as an emotional human being and try to be an Olympic champion. You need, you need to go out there and make executive decisions upon every situation on that mat. Because if you look at it during a match, you have three to 4,000 positions that you could choose from. And it's, you make the right calls, you'll be successful. But if you live outside your comfort zone, you're going to make mistakes. Because when I started wrestling, basically 1995, 1996, you know, I remember the first day I got my butt kicked, you know, guys were throwing me and this, not the other. And I'm like, how far do you push before you get thrown? And I had to figure out. And I remember one time I was wrestling the Olympic champion, Hector Milan from Cuba, and I was wrestling him and I was pushing him hard and he armed through me and I, my feet kicked the chandelier that was seven feet off the ground in the midair and my feet kicked the chandelier and I got off the mat. I said, note to self, don't ever push that hard again because you're just leaning in, you're pushing, you didn't use the correct technique. And so then it's like, okay, if I change my level, I have the ability to push hard, but I have the ability to pull back because I'm in good position. And that's where, I think being a wrestler um, in, in high school and college made me different because most people wrestle Greco-Roman stand up. I got in my college stance and I'm wrestling a guy and I'm six one of most of my opponents. I'm at the worlds in 01 and I, I look around and the second shortest guy was six four and there was 30 wrestlers who were six four to six nine and I'm six one. So I get in my collegiate stance. I'm at five feet and this guy that's six seven 
has to come down to five feet, his legs going to be burned at the end of the match. So you start to figure out these little things that make you a, a good wrestler in the positions you are. And, you know, my biggest thing I had was my heart, my conditioning. I'd go out there and I'd physically and mentally break people. Why? Because I could withstand stuff that they couldn't because they've never seen that pressure. If you look at my, you know, Sydney 2000 match, at the end of the match, Corellan was exhausted. I was like, I'm just warming up, you know, what's, you know, and kind of give him the, you know, hey, how you doing? You know, doing good here. You know, I'm losing, I'm, I'm winning one nothing. He's losing one nothing. He's losing to me. And he's like, I got 15 seconds left. And this American's not even tired. You know, I'm exhausted. What am I going to do? And he had no answer because, you know, you, you, there's a lot of reasons why he wasn't ready. A lot of it was probably he thought he was going to beat me. You know, the, the crazy part of the Olympics was is Corell and it was a perfect match. The semifinal match before was against a guy who grew up in Russia but lived in Israel, and he looked like Mr. Clean. He was 6'6", and he looked like Mr. Clean, scary, big, muscular, and he was tough. And he got ahead of me 2 nothing, And I came back, and I beat him 3-2. to two. I outworked him, I wore him out, and I beat him 3-2 three, three to two in overtime. And I came off the mat. Corellan's like, I'm, I can kill the, you know, the, the former Russian. I can kill the Israeli. I'm going to kill the American. Well, the only problem was is every day in my head, I studied his technique. I tried to learn his technique. I tried to figure out how I could compete at his level. Because, because people say, oh, how strong was Corellan? If you look at him, there's a lot of videos and scary stuff about him because he was truly that physical and intimidating. You know, how do you beat him? We didn't know. But what are you going to do? Don't back down. Get in his face. You push him. You challenge him. You make him be fearful of you. Don't back up. Don't let him build that confidence. Because if you go out there and you stun him and you get in his face and you push him, you're going to break his whole confidence and you're going to make him doubt himself. And it took me, I think, probably at least three to four minutes into the match before I really started to, you know, I guess make him question who he was. Myself, I didn't know. I'd never been there before. This is my first time at the Olympics. This is my first time wrestling for a medal at the Olympics. And my philosophy was, is guaranteed a silver medal. So if I lose, I win a silver medal. If I win, I win the Olympics. And so I had nothing to lose. And so for me, I put everything on that mat. And as time expired, 15 seconds left, I was 100%. I was still hungry to, to go out there and to you know push him. And that was, I think, part of the perspective because as I came back and did all the, you know, Leno, Letterman, Conan, and Rosie, and Oprah, and all these talk shows, they're like, how did you beat him? I'm like, I don't know. They're like, you don't know how you beat him? I said, well, I don't know. My coach has told me what to do. Challenge him, get in his face, push him, challenge him, and, you know, make him realize that, you know, he hasn't trained at that high level you have, and maybe you'll, you'll break him because he hadn't been scored on in 10 years. So how can you beat somebody who's unbeatable? You got to go out and do things that are unthinkable. And that's kind of what we did because everybody else just accepted inevitable they were going to lose. Well, I'm not that smart or I'm a little bit too stubborn for that, you know, because I didn't believe it. And what's funny is after I came back from the Olympics, my family's like, oh, we knew you were going to win. I'm like, oh, come on. They're like, oh, no, we could see it in, in your eyes. I'm like, only thing you saw in my eyes was stupidness and stubbornness. You know, I, but you got to have that. you got to have the blinders that say, you know what, this guy is probably better than you, but you know what, go prove it. Because the score is 0-0 zero, zero for everybody when you walk on the mat. If you walk out there and you think the score is, you know, 5 nothing, why even wrestle? I walked out there saying, hey, if you're going to beat me, 
You got to earn this. Wow. I love that. You are full of just the best advice. Where can our listeners find and connect with you best if they want to learn more about you and all the amazing work you're doing to inspire others? Well, the best place is to, to go to rulinggardener.com. Um, you know, that's where my, my website is. Email me. I'm on there or go to Facebook. Uh, I have a fan page. Plus I have a, a friend page. Just go in and write, write a message and ask me to be a friend. And uh, yeah, I'd love to connect. And people say, oh, you know, and they, a lot of people come through Wyoming and they see me and they're like, why are you here? I said, this is where I grew up. I'm like, it doesn't matter where you're from in America. There's greatness everywhere. It's just a matter of de- developing that greatness. And so for me, you know, I'm, I'm nothing special. You know, I'm just a, a kid that went out and worked hard and a kid that realized he had a really good opportunity to go to college and, you know, change his direction of life and, you know, get that chance. And I just think of all the kids along the way that, you know, were in these special ed classes that, that were convinced that they weren't good enough. And, you know, my brother went back, took over the special ed program and some of the, the best friends I had that, you know, were good friends, but then some of them that I saw that were quit were, you know, kids in special ed because, they were going through struggles and you know, there was a lot of times it was, you know, stuff at home. A lot of times it was, they didn't really care because, you know, they were just like, I don't care. And I remember having all those great teachers that told me that if I worked hard, I could do anything. And that's what I did. I, I went out there and my whole goal was to work hard and put myself in a situation where I would be very successful. And that's what I was going to do. I was going to push my way myself in ways that most people thought was, you know, impossible. But I think, uh, you know, living the, living the dream as an American, you know, we, as an athlete, I think it's more impressive to watch an American win the Olympics because in America, we could do anything we want to. We could get our teaching job. We could, you know, go out and we could go to the beach every day if we want to. And a lot of these other countries, wrestling is their one avenue to get out of where they're at. You know, I've been all over the world wrestling. I was going to visit the troops in Afghanistan. We threw, we flew through Bishkek, Kazakhstan. And they said, you want to do a clinic? I said, sure. Two hours later, we had 250 kids show up at this clinic in the middle of Russia. It's like, like that's how important the sport of wrestling is because look on the, the ceiling. And when I won the, my medal in Athens, there was, I think, two or three other Olympic medalists from there. And they were heroes. You know, they were looked up as, as true heroes of that country because they don't have much there. They don't, you know, they don't get much. And when I left, you know, the ambassador – you know, that was there, you know, helping facilitate that camp. And he was the American ambassador said, Ruin, we've given these, you know, we've given them a lot of money to help, you know, put this American base so our troops would have a, a place to deploy at them before they go to Afghanistan. He said, you've done as much good in this camp as we had by helping ep- economically develop this whole area because, you know, you give them so much hope that, you know, they can be like you someday. And I was like, I'm just a wrestler, but we truly don't realize, I think, the impact of the things that we can do. Every day I have people that I meet along the way that say, oh, you are such a great example. You know, and I have kids all the time that still send me messages saying, you know, I got involved in wrestling. Now my kid wrestles because he saw you wrestle and I show him your video all the time and we talk about you all the time and you're such a great inspiration. And, you know, I people want to, you know, look at and get uh, getting a copy of my book. You can go to rulinggardner.com. I have a book, never give up, never stop pushing. And, you know, people can go there and just realize, wow, you know, this is how he did it. This is the adversity he went through because, you know, not only did I have 
you know, wrestling was a challenge. In 2002, I had my frostbite story. I, I lost a toe to, to frostbite. I spent 18 hours at 25 below zero, one of the worst nights of my life, you know, but it was one of the best nights. I lost all the feeling in my feet. I still came back and won the Olympic bronze medal. And 2007, I was in a plane crash into Lake Powell. And, you know, three of us, uh, you know, three of us passengers, we all swam to the shore. It was two miles away. It was 43 degree water. You know, for me, life hasn't been easy. And there's always challenges. People think, oh, well, you're an Olympic champion. You must have just been truly amazing growing up. I'm like, I couldn't beat my brother. You know, if I can't beat my own family member, how could I beat the Russians, you know? So it's all about timing and perspective and, you know, realizing that it's a growing process. So many kids nowadays, they walk out and they fail the first time they wrestle and they quit. You know, you know, when you fail, you find out another way to, you know, to become successful, you know, not doing what you did in that match. And, you know, we always tell my kids, you know, find three things on the feet, three things on top that you need to work on, three things on bottom, you know. You know, you need to develop these nine things. Every day, come to practice with a list of things you want to work on. Don't just come to practice and just do whatever you have to, what coach tells me to do. No, you come in there and you have a perspective for yourself. These are things coach wants you to work on, but these are the things that you need to work on for you because that's what's important for you. If you have questions, that's why we're here as coaches, to help you answer those things because I can't tell you exactly what to do in the middle of the match. You have to make that determination for yourself, but I want to help facilitate the right mental processing to give yourself the best chance to win. Wow. I am blown away by your passion and commitment to just helping inspire other people and sharing all of your wealth of knowledge and just experiences. We're, we're so grateful for your time today, Rulin. Oh, well, thank you. No, it's, it's been a, a pleasure. And people say, well, you know, why do you do it? I said, to teach, to learn, to help develop. And I think of all my special ed teachers that made the difference in my life. And that was why I became a teacher. That's why I still speak to thousands of kids each year about goal setting and, and getting up and, and taking a risk in life. You know, well, I, I failed. So you know, just, you know, just because you fell doesn't mean you quit. It means you get back up, means you redevelop, means you recommit, you know, don't just give up in life. You know, life is about what you make of it. And, you know, I look at our kids and, you know, I, I see the perspective of, you know, well, our kids just don't work hard. And I, I disagree, you know, they need to be challenged. You know, kids, you don't want to pamper them and everything. And, you know, I, I was raised that, you know, my dad got the belt, you know, we got the belt, we got, you know, the talking to, we, we had rules. And if we didn't live within those rules, you know, there was consequences and our kids, you know, I think we need to make sure they realize that there's a line they can never cross and there's things that they can never quit from. And, you know, I think we've got to push them to the next level. Cause as I walk into the high school, I look around, I'm like, mm, nope. Nope. I'm looking at them like these kids just don't understand. They, they're not wrestling mentality. And, you know, I look at how many great wrestlers have been through the years of, of being in my life. And so many of them have become, you know, troops and, you know, soldiers and that type of stuff, truly leaders. I've, I've met so many people in Afghanistan and, and I've been on five different military tours all over the world. And on those tours, you have so many wrestlers that come up and, you know, they have their shoes with them or they talk about stories and, you know, who they are. And it's like, man, you know, I look at my life. I'm like, you know, I just truly love, you know, the military and what they've done, the sacrifices they have. And I've met guys out there and they're like, you're a gold medalist. I'm like, 
you're a you're a lot better man than I'll ever be just because you see these individuals who they 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 look fear in the face and they have to go in and you know survive I've you know met a guy in Athens and he was part of I don't know what deployment but he was there to protect us athletes and I met him about five or six years ago and I'm like he he looked ragged and torn and I'm like and I didn't recognize him. I mean, you know, he was good look when I met him. And then he was just like, what's going on? He's like, this is what we have to, to be able to go into, you know, these countries where terrorism's there. He's like, it's just a crazy world we live in. And I'm like, you okay? He's like, Oh, I'm fine. He's like, I just, you know, it's just what the world's about. And, you know, you look at wrestling, you know, we've, I never went to Iran myself, but they're a huge wrestling country. You know, the Persians are really good at wrestling and all over the world. You know, they tried to cut Olympic wrestling years ago and the whole world came together, no matter what country, no matter if you're, you know, Christian, Muslim, whatever you were, you know, we came together. It didn't matter what politics we had, the Russians and the Iranians and the Americans all pulling together because the sport of wrestling will outlast any country. Because, you know, the sport of wrestling, if you look at it, you know, prehistoric man was you and another person. And if you're the dominant one, you end up on top. And that's the deterring fact about wrestling is you don't need a ball, put it through a hoop. It's you and another person. And, you know, it's, it's hand to hand, but it's civilized. Like I turned down, I fought once in pride fighting in Japan and I turned down a million dollars for my second fight. And I asked my mom what she thought of it. And she goes, I didn't raise you to be a killer. I raised you to be a sportsman and to be respectful. And I turned down a lot of money doing a lot of other things, but it wasn't about the money. It was about being a good representative and being a good role model for the kids because a lot of these kids look up to some of these people and some of them aren't being the best examples. So I think it's important as athletes, but then also as teachers and coaches that we're always a great example for our youth. So true. Gosh, thank you so much for your time. This has You're been welcome. such a wonderful conversation.